Good afternoon, everybody. This is Chill Time as Will Time. I'm your host, William Moore. And today has been a long, long day. Um, coming off a day after a football game where we got our tails handed to us, so I'm sore and beat up. But I still wanted to make sure that I got on the mic today to uh, bring you guys a good show. And I've also taken the liberties of inviting another good friend of mine. Um, so, Jake, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, so I'm Jake. Uh, I know Will through some of our work um, through White Bear School District and Ramsey County, and so that's kind of where we've met. And we've had a couple of interesting conversations um, kind of on the current political climate um, involving things with race, economics, and so he told me about this podcast that he does and invited me to kind of step in and talk. Yeah, so um, Jake's an interesting cat, too. Um, him and I have not you know, just only had talks about or conversations about politics uh, and so on and so forth. But this guy is like an ultra marathoner. Um, so for anybody out there that knows me, you guys know how much I am into fitness and how much I work out and how much effort I put into it. I'll tell you right now, I don't do nearly as much endurance work as this guy does. I mean, what, what, matter of fact, when's the last marathon or 100 miler that you just did? Uh, the last marathon uh, actually was last October for Twin Cities. Um, I've been a little bit with the transition into a new job. I've been a little bit uh, lax on the working out, but I am hoping that picks up here pretty quick. So so what's lax? Like working out once a day instead of twice? Yeah, I mean, so, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you're probably looking at like two, two, lift, two lifts a week resistance training and then uh, running six days a week. Um, but the mileage is definitely lower and slower. Yeah, but... Lower and slower when you're putting in on the average. How many miles are you putting in per per run? 
per run like now or like normally? Like normally and now. Okay. Because and the reason I'm asking you is because I can almost guarantee you that what you consider a low mileage right now is not low to the rest of us. Yeah, so right now, about five miles, 10 kilometers a day, um, which is about five or six miles a day. Um, prior to that, though, um, like last summer when I was training for the Utah Valley Marathon, um, I was probably putting in about 14 to 16 mile days, um, and then long runs would be about 25 to 30 miles. How long was that Utah Valley run? Utah Valley was, uh, well, was a standard marathon, 26.2 miles. That's a hell of a lot of running, dude. Yeah, well, it was But still in, like, elevation, because it's pretty... You were running through altitude, weren't you? Yeah, so we, we started, I want to say it was about 11,000 feet, um, and so then we worked our way back to right around sea level. Um, and, yeah, it was interesting, too, being in that elevation, because it was early June, and so, you know, at sea level, the finish line, um, it was about 90 degrees, but up at the top, um, the, you know, about 4 in the morning when we all got there to the starting line, it was about 31 degrees, and there was, there was snow. People were packing it together. It was just the weirdest thing. Yeah, I can't. I've never. The last time I did a marathon was, dude, it was like the Bear Water Run eight years ago. I trained for like four months for it. And I remember I remember starting off the run, actually, it was actually kind of chilly. It was somewhere around high 40s, mid 40s. Um, but after that first, I don't know, 30 minutes of running, like you kind of warmed up. And then obviously by the time we finished, it was pretty warm in a day. But that, I mean, that was fall, took place in sep- September, I believe. That was the first and only time and probably the last <laughs> time that I'm doing that marathon run. But I am, however, doing, I told you, did I ever, I, I think I told you about that uh, 300 mile bike race that I'm doing. At yeah, the you did the triple race. century. Yep. Yep, yep. So I've been training for that. Um, the only thing that's kind of put like a, a little hamper into that that I'm still trying to work out is like being able to get a proper amount of mileage in on the bike after being like sore from playing the you know playing football or whatever. So it's just like trying to get thirty to forty miles in the day after, or even two days after. Like it's easy to get maybe a fifteen minute spin in, but or not fifteen minute spin in. Sorry, like a fifteen mile spin in. But once you start going past 20, um, 25 after basically, like, beating your body up for three hours straight, um, dude, it gets tough. Yeah, well, I don't know how you do it considering that the training for those two different uh, completely different. sports completely different. You know, yep. you have your football, which is resistance training, trying to put on mass, and then cycling, you hear all about the aerodynamicy and trying to, you know, slim down. and. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely for sure not uh, – I mean, at what six foot two forty? I'm not. <laughs> I'm like four times the size of your average cyclist, so I'm definitely. A, but but like, you know, much like you know, training for that marathon though, this is something I've never done it before, and I just wanted to say like, hey, like I can do this. You know what I mean? It'd be something nice to say to put on the achievement wall, and later on in the years to say, you know, hey, I once biked three hundred miles. I did a three hundred mile bike race, and so that would be. Um, an amazing achievement for me when it's all said and done. So well, and when looking at it too, it's if you, unless you chose your parents incredibly well, and you know you were born to be a cyclist or born to be a marathoner, just finishing it is a pretty cool task. Yeah, you know, if, for you, if sure. you're not if you're not going to take home the ten thousand dollar cash prize, then 
finishing it is pretty much the next best thing. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And so, you know, that being said, I'm definitely excited about that. So, kind of uh, move back on slate. Um, the beginning, the, 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 at the beginning of the majority of my episodes, I started doing this little section that I call graduate decisions. It's just a sarcastic little slant on like when you see out in um, everyday life uh, or in the media somebody doing something extremely stupid, and you just you know I call that a graduate move. Um, what's something this past week or two weeks that you've seen in the media? That's, that that you just got to call attention to, basically drag somebody or something out on the carpet and highlight it for the stupidity that it is. Oh, God, let's see here. Well, okay, so recently in the news, I'm sure people have heard that the parking in Minneapolis is going up, uh, pretty dramatically, in fact. And so I was just watching a story on this the other day, and so they were interviewing U of M, I would imagine U of M students, um, primarily college-aged. Um, and so they were going around asking students what they thought about the price hike, and you know, a lot of them were, you know, well, you know, it's already kind of strapped on a college budget, it's kind of tough to, you know, be able to pay this already, and now it's going up, like, I think it's like 75 cents or something for their standard two-hour rate. And... The part that I got a kick out of, though, was the last person that they asked about it said, you know, it's you, you have to sort of pay... You've, you know, if, if they, the city sets the prices, you have to pay what they say. And so we just have to kind of deal with it as he's with his bicycle. And so I thought that was kind of a <laughs> kind of a knucklehead move. The other ones clearly were, were the drivers and clearly the, it's not the parking does not affect him all. whatsoever. And so his he was the only one that really had anything, you know, sort of, well, let's just, it's the way it is, but it doesn't affect him at all. And so I just thought that that was sort of a knucklehead move. Uh, yeah, kind of on the reporter's end, too. I thought I got a kick out of that, that the guy with the bicycle didn't care about the parking meter increases. Yeah, I would say that's a graduate decision right there. That's definitely, wow. I wouldn't, and that's actually not even what I was expecting out of that. I don't know what I was expecting at the end of that, <laughs> but it, that wasn't it. I just, the irony just got me. I thought it was funny. So, um... The graduate move that I want to highlight for this week, so I actually just saw it, is like a report on like, I got an alert on uh, my, the BBC app, BBC News app on my phone, and it was talking about, or maybe it was Huffington, Huffington Post, I don't know. So anyways, it was talking about a lady in Cali over in the Bay Area who called the cops on an eight-year-old girl for selling water on the sidewalk. A little, you know, this, this this white lady called the cops on an eight-year-old black girl for selling water um, on the sidewalk during a hot day without a permit. So you've heard the stories about the lady who tried to call the cops on the black guys out in the in the park barbecue, right? Yeah. So basically, it's the same thing. And I guess they've been calling her Permit Patty or whatever. Um, dude, how stupid! <laughs> how dumb could it is? Like, really, like. You're trying to narc on an eight-year-old. And then the, the thing and on top of it, as I looked more into the story, um, what was happening or what was being what – the, the reason the little girl was doing it is uh, she was trying to raise money for herself. She wasn't asking people for money. She was selling water. She's out being a little entrepreneur, making money because she wanted to buy tickets to Disney World. Like, come on, man. Eight years old. As much as – as much flack as we throw at kids today about them being lazy or being irresponsible, it's an eight-year-old showing drive, showing some entrepreneurship, and she's out, you know, selling waters on a hot day, trying to trying to make you know get enough money 
to get her get her some tickets to go to Disney World, and then a lady who comes by, who by the way, who um, supposedly like she like sells like pot cookies for dogs or whatever in a store. So it's just like <laughs> if I'm gonna knock on anybody for anything, I mean, granted she's she's got a she she's <clears throat> selling legal you know. Uh, a marijuana or a cannabis product. She's a little east for that. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Like, come on now. Like, if there's two, if there's one that you're gonna narc on somebody about or tell on somebody about, it's got to be the cannabis, not the water, not the bottled waters. Yeah, that's a little little awkward. Where was that again? It's a same area, in, somewhere in California, <laughs> in, in the Bay, in the Bay Area, and it just goes to show, like, it highlights something that we're gonna talk a little bit more about, like later in the episode about people have this misconception that like racists and Trump voters and stuff like that are like these like these toothless, ignorant, redneck, foul mouthed, you know, folks. When really like when really that's that's not all his base was. Like people keep forgetting that. Like there were some pretty intelligent people who still think along the lines and have some very bigoted views. And I think us, you know, the general public or people who consider themselves liberal, that's why we continue to, to lose or really fall behind the ball, you know, or, or you know, fall behind the mark when it and not reach the mark when it comes to that, because we're out of touch with really who who our adversary is. Yeah. For, like seriously. I mean while we're at it, matter of fact, let's kind of so, so so let me know what you think about that. I guess. Yeah. So when I see when I see a Trump supporter, I usually I, I don't think of the toothless person that the media sort of portrays. You know, you sort of see these these things floating around social media, these pictures of these toothless hicks. You know, these guys small, with mullets. Guys with mullets, the small rural. You know, the Confederate flag. And granted, those people probably are going to lean towards Trump. I'm not saying that those people were Hillary supporters by any means, but. The fact of the matter is, those aren't the people that really their, their votes did not sway the election um, towards Trump. Which, you know, to sort of touch on that, he still didn't win the popular election. He won the electoral college. But regardless of that, the reason why it was so close was not from those small minority populations, you know, in those rural suburbs that voted for him. The problem was was that I think a lot of people that did vote for Trump, unfortunately, are very intelligent, and I think that they did not vocalize their support for him just because they were afraid of being ostracized, they were afraid of being demonized in the community. And so I think what we're seeing now as Trump, you know, is kind of rounding up almost on his halfway here, he's, you know, a little over a year and a half in. And and can think, you believe people were saying, oh, and I kept telling people, I didn't think that this was accurate either. But once again, it, it, it uh, sums up how much we underestimate um Underestimate Trump, his supporters, and the Republican Party. He his 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 uh his term won't last a year. He won't get past six months, dude. It's, he's almost halfway through. Yeah, he's rounding. He's he's rounding second here. And, and I don't think it's unreasonable to think that he could win two terms. I don't either. Um, and you hear a lot of talk too um, about people saying, well, you know, is Trump going to run as a Republican candidate or? Is he unpopular enough that you know the Republicans might try to put somebody against? Absolutely not. Why would they divide their vote that way? But you hear that kind of talk a lot. Well, I don't. To be honest with you, I don't understand why we are even hearing that type of talk. Because as much as there are so-called whispers every time you listen to CNN, there are whispers that they disagree with this, that some of the you know uh, uh, senators and reps disagree with this and disagree with that. 
how often do you ever hear anybody coming out against them? You never do. No. And the only ones who have come out against them are ones who aren't seeking re-election anyway. And it kills me, too, because people are always talking about, like, oh, that's courageous. So it shows a lot of courage, that, you know, with uh, such and such. Who was the last one? Jeff Flake. And I'm like, that's not courage. Jeff Flake's not running for re-election. So why would he care? No, showing courage is running for re-election but still standing up for some type of moral, you know, moral value instead of morals that you know don't align with what this guy is running on and speaking out against it. But they don't. So the fact that, you know, that there are some out there who are um, talking about, you know, the, 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 you know, a lot of Republicans don't agree with them or they're, you know, possibly, like you said, someone else is going to run against them and, and uh, essentially, like, take his spot. That's BS. I don't. I honestly don't see that happening. I don't. Not even it. close. Well, and especially, and I think a lot of that, you know, a lot of those decisions. Although I don't really think it's a decision at all. I think he's going to be their their twenty twenty nominee. But you take a look at uh, the upcoming elections in twenty eighteen here. I think those are going to be a huge predictor of what's going to happen with the back half of Trump's presidency. Because if he, if the if the Democrats don't get out and don't vote, um, and I'm talking everybody, I'm talking um, college age students, I'm talking. The minority population—it's—it um, just still baffles me the number of people that are, you know, late teens, early twenties that just don't give a crap about their vote. I mean, they just don't. You ask them, you know. So I'll get on that in a bit after you finish your point, but I'll—I'll I'll, I'll tell you why I think that is actually. Yeah, and so it's you know it. You, I, I I talked with a couple of coworkers just this morning for a, a kind of a part-time side job that I do, and they couldn't care less about the upcoming elections. And they, they have all these complaints and all these concerns about everything that's going on, but they they don't seem to think that their vote is really going to contribute at all. And part of that might be, too, that you see things like the popular vote not being the final decision. Um, you know, Trump was, again, elected on the Electoral College decision. And so... That's one part they, of it. I, they, yeah. they might see things like that and think, well, then what the hell does my vote matter? Um, but again, it, it does, and it... it I think that was a huge part of the problem was that a lot a lot of people that would have voted um, for Hillary didn't come out and vote. And I think part of that, too, was that people just didn't think that Trump had a standing chance. Well, yeah, no, for sure. They didn't think he had a chance. Once again, they underestimated it. Two, another thing that I think that happened is, uh, you know, during the campaign, Democrats didn't reach out to enough of those um those those uh middle class workers um because you saw that Obama a lot of the uh districts or whatever that Obama had won you know he lost or Trump won this past you know during 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 the November's election a couple of years back um and and a big part of that once again, what I'm saying is like, just like you're saying, like they were being underestimated, um, because there is something to say about about what you were saying, where there, you know, a lot of them, a lot of them are very into, uh, like intelligent, which, to be honest with you, I think makes it to me makes them a little bit more despicable because they totally are able to like to understand the the nuances of what that vote means and what. And what Donald Trump is doing with his language, what he stands for, with his policies, yet they still they still went that direction. 
with, rather than when you take people who are you know pretty unintelligent, don't understand politics or whatever. Like you can see how it's easy for them to get hustled. You know what I mean? Easy for them to get tricked. You know what I mean? But these other ones, like so. Granted, I still don't agree with that. Either way it goes, I feel like they all voted off hate anyway. Um, there's a little bit of more understanding that comes to the quote-unquote poor dumb redneck. Well, Just because they, see... like they're saying, like I said, they were getting hustled. These middle class and upper middle class people that voted for them, like they knew exactly what was going on, and they chose hate, um, hate over everything else. And that's hard. To, and, that, and that that's hard to fathom. And well, and just like you said, I totally believe that it was a. I, I I've said it before in a podcast episode. Actually, during the election, I actually said that I before it, the, the the vote came out or the results came out, I actually said that I believed that he was winning. And my rationale for that was, I remember betting somebody at a school that I was running doing some outreach programming at. And the reason I said that was, if you look at all the despicable things that Donald Trump was saying during the time. Um, look how many people who were okay with being vis- like visibly supporting that type of hate and bigotry, right? And I said, if there's if he's saying things this off like out of left field and that out of pocket that are just disgusting and despicable, um, and there are that many people openly supporting it, think how many people who support him who aren't open about it. I mean, just think about that. Think how many people have jobs that they're afraid to lose or work with a lot of people in like a a very liberal community or uh, in a profession that where all their coworkers are fairly liberal. They're not going to admit that they agree with what he's saying. But there's one place that they can all express themselves and nobody would ever know, and that's the voting booth. And even still to this day, I believe there's a lot of po- people, a lot of people who voted for him. That when you ask them to their face, they'll deny it up and down. They'll 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 deny the fact that they support that type of stuff. I mean, I even had a friend one time who was on a uh, went on a vacation to Canada, and he was saying that when uh, the waiter expressed uh, asked him where he was from, he said, "Oh, you're from America," and he said uh, the waiter asked him. You know what's going on there? Like, how did that happen? You know what I mean? And my friend, you know, voice, you know, basically articulated that he doesn't know. He didn't vote for Donald Trump. He doesn't. He just doesn't understand how it happened or whatever. And the waiter said, "Yeah, that's what all of you guys are saying. Everybody's asked said the exact same thing. So that's even more proof in the pudding that there are people there just not telling the truth. Yeah, they know how disgusting and vile it is. So I, I feel like just with just as many people." Who openly support them? I think that the same amount of people are, are are in the closet supporters, and and to speak to your point of while a lot of people aren't uh, don't care about the vote, so there's two reasons why. I think one is the fact of the electoral college. I think the electoral college needs to be abolished. I mean, to be honest with you, the only reason that it was put into play and even in the first place is to make sure that they could keep the the, the powers that be could keep the status quo. Because if it wasn't, what is, what, is the, what is the point of having a popular vote? And, and you know, and, to sort of touch on that point, too, you mentioned keeping the status quo. And I think that there was sort of a hidden undertone in this last election where, you know, people didn't necessarily, you know, consider that voting for Trump was, you know, the right move. But it may have been the move that they took because Clinton, although there were a number of bad things that were coming out about her, whatever your thoughts are on that, that's sort of irrelevant on my point that I'm about to make she's a Clinton 
I think people are getting sick of seeing those same families floating in and out of office, um, right. whether that's at the executive level or whether that's at the House and um, you know the House or the Senate level. Politics you, in America is definitely turning, with not just now, but has been for years. There's a lineage. A fam- yeah, it's a family business. Yeah. Yeah, it's it. I mean, there's definitely a lineage there, and so you know, you see, Clint, you know, you see Clinton. Um, you, you hear that name, you hear Bush. I mean, people on both sides are, I think, are getting sick of seeing these same family names going over and over and over again. And so I think that's just the fact that his name was Trump. You know, I think had a lot to do with the fact. Okay, well, it's it's some fresh blood. It might not be the best, the best option, but it is a different option. And so again, I think when you take a Trump voter and you take a look at that aspect of it you still have to consider the platform that he was running on. I agree. I agree. And when I was and, and to elaborate a little bit more on what I was saying about status quo for the Electoral College, I mean, even look how, how it, it's put together. It basically gives, even though North and South Dakota put together have less, you know, less of a population in the state of California, you put them both together and they have the same representation. For those who don't know, the Electoral College is basically put together to give those uh, who live in rural states or less populated states just as much represent, representation as those who live in heavily populated areas. What's, but, but, the, but a byproduct is a lot of those people who live in those states or whatever um, have an agenda that I, that you know ha, had an aligning agenda that was to, to be honest, which is detrimental to to minorities and people of color. So what it did is it 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 gave them it gave them it, it turned them almost into like a super delegate, much like what happens with private prisons. Um, and what happens with you know in private prisons is, and this is why I also stress people like not only like learning about you know national political scene, but also taking part and more local politics because this is what happens when you don't speak out against people building private prisons. One is just wrong. You're making money and you're privatizing, you know, you're, you're adding to the prison industrial complex. Two, what they do is, anybody ever noticed why they don't put prisons in urban areas? Why they don't put prisons in, in, in near like huge like uh, 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 populations in big cities? It's not for safety reasons at all, at all. They always put prisons in smaller, you know, smaller populated rural areas, usually in, um, to be honest with you, in red districts. And what happens is, uh, as I explained before in another podcast episode, it is the three-fifths compromise all over again. The three-fifths compromise was basically a law that was enacted that said the southern, southern slave owners, because they felt that, once again, like another reason the electoral college was put in because they were un- underrepresented, you know, man to man compared to the people that lived in the north. That their 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 slaves should count um, as individuals. The argument were if slaves were property, how can they be counted as men or uh, as heads or, or part of your population? So the compromise was was basically put into place to say they count as three fifths of a person. So even though slaves had no voting rights, they count as a part of your population. Therefore, help to add to the amount of representation politically that you could have in your district or your city, town, or state. And to touch on that, Minnesota is a prime example of that. I mean, you take a look at one of the largest state prisons uh, in Stillwater. 
again, predominantly white neighborhood. Um, you take a look at Lionel Lakes, again, another huge prison system there, predominantly white. Um, you're starting to get a little more rural there. Um, and then Sandstone, Minnesota, too, and I believe that's a federal prison. Um, but again, you take a look at these locations, and there's absolutely strategy behind them. And again, it's not safety at all. Exactly. It's not safety at all. So <clears throat> so much like Jake was saying, so you see how we have these these three prominent prisons put into place. And what happens is these prisoners, too, everybody knows once you get put in prison, especially you know for serious crimes or whatever, you lose the right to vote. But these prisoners still count as population for these districts. So it's still the three-fifths compromise. Although less. Exactly. That, that, that was supposed to be abolished a long time ago. It still exists. It's, it's, it still exists. And so these type of games are constantly being played politically, and we're not paying any attention to them. The other reason, another reason that I think that, um, that people are not voting, um, especially, and I'll speak more or less for the, for, uh, along the lines of, like, you know, as for, min- for minorities, I got to be honest with you, man. Like, the Democratic Party has taken the minority vote for granted for far too long. And, and I think they still continue to do it. I mean, we've seen what the minority vote can do in Alabama with Doug, uh, what's his name, Doug Jones beating out Roy Moore. And they took every, it took the, one of the biggest campaign pushes ever for Doug Jones to still slightly win against Roy Moore, who has a reputation of being a pedophile. All right? So when you and so you look at that and it's clear that the minority vote is all they had to do is a, a, a fifth of the minorities that voted all they had to do was sit home and Roy Moore would have would have would have won that election for years for years for, like for years on end longer than I can count the Democratic Party has come when it comes time election time has come in black communities over and over and over pleading to us for our vote talking about how they're going to change things. Um, you know, appealing to our better half about understanding a lot of the you know trials and tribulations that we deal with in the community and how they're going to seek to fight for equity, equality, um, and, and, and just overall better representation for, 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 for black and brown folks, right? They make it seem like we're the number one priority. But after they put in the office for t- time and time and time again, we're put to the back burner. Back burner. We're no longer the number one priority. We become priority number five, six, seven, eight, nine. Sometimes past number ten. And they got to the point where, especially a lot of minorities have get, just gotten to the point where they're like, our vote just doesn't count. You don't care about us. So even though we don't agree with the Republicans and we think Republicans have racist tendencies, and some of them are just not out, and some of them not even racist racist tendencies. They're just flat out racist. Even though we're not going to vote for them, you're not going to automatically get a vote. We're just going to sit out altogether, and we're not voting for anybody. And I agree. That's true for the vast majority of the population. But there were actually quite a few um, minority populations throughout the United States that did vote Trump. And I think that further, you know, not only were they, you know, sick and tired of the Democratic Party not actually, you know, pursuing their interests when in office, they went to the point where they actually voted for Trump just because they wanted something different, something that, you know, a party that might actually represent their interests, which clearly the Trump party is not going to do that. But again, I think it shows that the Democratic Party really, again, has taken the minority vote for, for uh, granted. They, they're out of touch with the minority vote. And just to clarify, like, I know Jake enough to know Jake is not saying, like, Trump won because of a minority vote or that overwhelmingly, like, Minorities vote for Donald Trump because he knows, just like I know, 
that when you look at the data, Trump still won every de- every demographic of white you know of, of white voter from young to old to no matter what type of economic class. So that's not what he's saying. Just because I know how it is with some individuals, some people hear things, they don't listen to the whole statement, and they run off and you know their 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 pants are hot and they're saying whatever. But what he's saying um, is true, even though it wasn't a high number. I think there was something. Is like thirteen percent of black men or whatever voted for voted for Trump or whatever. Yeah, it wasn't it which, wasn't, it wasn't an exceptionally high, high number. But he was but just saying, but he was just saying more than historically than, has been exactly higher than historically it has been, and that speaks to that speaks volumes too. Like like I said, the Democratic Party is out of touch with the with the minority voter. I mean. Further proof of that is you look at, I've talked about this once before too, so if you've heard me talk about it and you're tired of hearing about it, be prepared for me to hear about it again. I've said before, Donald Trump probably did get help from Vladimir Putin. He's probably in Vladimir Putin's pocket. The election, you know, was tampered with. I don't think there's any confusion about that. I, I really don't. Stormy Daniels, he probably did cheat on his wife. We, we know that. But black people, we also don't care. But like black people, don't care about that, because as I said before, Vladimir Putin, ex-porn stars, strippers, stuff like that, have nothing to do with what's been going on in the black community. What's been going on in the black community is indicative of our government, liberals and Republicans alike, basically like not standing up for black people and minorities the way they say they're going to do come election time. Vladimir Putin has nothing to do with the over-policing of black communities. Vladimir Putin has nothing to do with the fact the amount of police brutality that happens in black communities. And I'm going to just to show you, highlight how extreme, you know, uh, 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 this police brutality issue is. It was, once I can find the article, I will, I will, you know, I will cite it. But I had a friend actually email me an article that basically said one of the, uh, police brutality has become such a huge issue now that it's actually one of the largest public health issues in the African American community because it's cause it's actually causing mental health issues. I need you guys to think about that right now. Matter of fact, I'm going to like quickly try to look and see if I can find that article. Just cause because it was so it was so surprising to see that. Think about that. When police brutality is so bad that it's become a public health issue. Usually when you're thinking about public health issues, you're thinking about social determinants of health, such as poverty, uh, chronic disease, and how those things affect chronic disease and illness, um, hunger, starvation, lack of shelter, you know, good education. Now we got to, now our, our, you know, we got to worry about being killed, not only by, you know, citizens with bad attitudes, but by the very people that are supposed to protect us. And unfortunately, I cannot find that article right now, um, and I'm not going to waste everybody's time with it. So if I come up with it a little bit later, um, I will definitely run that by and give everybody um, the, uh, the link or directions to that article. But what I'm saying is, basically what I'm saying is that, oh, actually I did find it, sorry. So it was a, it's actually a Tech Times article. And the title of the article says, Police Violence Among Top Public Health Issues, Study Says. 
So if anybody out there, if you want to Google it, you know, put in techtimes.com, do a search for that header, for that, t- for that article title, police violence among top public health issues, and you'll find it. Um, just so people don't think that I'm shooting from the hip, um, making up stuff and citing something that I haven't seen or read before. But, you know, back to my, you know, I know I went off on a tangent, back to my original topic, that th- those aren't things that, 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 that the Democratic Party is really talking about. Every other week or whatever, I'm hearing about, you know, the Russia investigation. I don't really care about that anymore. I don't. And to be honest with you, I didn't care about that much to begin with. I cared about the young men, you know, men, women, and children that live in my community. I care about children getting a proper education. I care about the fact that people with mental health issues aren't getting the help they need. I care about the fact that there are a lot of poor, hungry people out there that don't have enough shelter and aren't getting enough food in their stomachs. I care about the fact there are a lot of people out there that don't have proper health care and that they're going into bankruptcy or losing their homes because they can't afford health care. That's what I'm irritated about. Not Vladimir Putin. Not, you know, meddling with the election. And if you ask me, that's just, that's kind of karma anyway because we've meddled in countless elections. It's, 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 it's international politics. It's espionage. It's just what happens. It's been happening since the beginning of time. So, I mean, that's why, you know, those those reasons right there are why I think um, kind of the chagrin, much like you were talking about, Jacob, why, like, I do, I do think that a lot of people set out the vote. We have the Electoral College doesn't mean anything. So what did the popular vote, you know, was, you know, Hillary won by over three million votes. The popular vote simply doesn't count. The Electoral College is, is somewhat like a, a, a rigged system, and it's, it's the only one that counts. Democratic Party isn't in touch with their base at all. And and to be honest with you, I think our two-party system sucks. I think it's unrealistic and it's outdated. To be honest, I think, too, one of the last things that these uh, are the last... I think you could even go as far as to say to six years, because you can start seeing snippets of it. We don't really have a two-party system. Really, there's four parties. There's a Democratic Socialist Party. There's a Democratic Party, which, if you look at it historically, much resembles the Republican Party from the 60s, 70s, and 80s, from how they conduct business. There is a Republican Party, which who I don't even know what they are. They've kind of turned into a cult. And then there's a far-right far right racist Tea Party Republican Party. There are four different parties in this country, but we seem to only want to continue to recognize two. And when anybody comes up that has ideas that don't, you know, uh, um, um, comfortably fit within that two-party system, they're disregarded. And the, 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 those acolytes of followers, you know, political followers, meaning politicians, um, of the two dominant parties, work together to squash them out, spit them out, and and just and just move on with 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 business as usual. I don't know. Tell me tell me what you think about that. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree, and I think that's a, a big part of the problem is that when people say Republican, it's sort of a blanket term. Um, you know, they they hear okay, Republican. Well, and right, and it changes with every um, every transfer of power. And so right now, when people think Republican. Um, as we kind of touched on before, they think of a Trump supporter, um, a racist, a bigot, um, you know, xenophobe, whatever you want to call that. They that that's immediately what they think. And then on the other end, you know, when people hear you know Democrats, um, 
you know, from the perspective of, you know, somebody that may be politically different, you know, they see somebody that might be overly sensitive or they see somebody that might think that they have everything coming to them. And so again, what you're seeing there is you're seeing the extreme socialist Democrat, and then you're also seeing the, um, you know, sort of the racist Trump Democrats um, kind of on the far end of the spectrum. And so people often forget that there's that meaty middle. There's another Democratic Party and another Republican Party. And people often forget that. The one one thing I will chime in and say, the reason do I, that I do think people make blanket statements about Republicans, and I think that it's easy for them to do it, and I understand why they do it, is because there are more people on the Democratic side that speak out or express dissension amongst other Democrats, uh, and it can be and it can be looked at as being divided and divisiveness. Which, sure, why not? I'll go with that. And the Republican side is a lot more organized. And by organized, I mean not in a good way. Meaning, like, even if there are those who don't agree with that very racist, nasty sentiment or whatever, they sure as hell don't speak out against it. And so. And in, in, in my eyes, I got to admit, like, I do make those blanket statements and I do feel strongly about them because especially when it comes to race and hate and bigotry and xenophobia and stuff like that, if you're not actively speaking out or working against changing those things or getting rid of those things, you might as well be for them. Exactly. You're complicit. And so I will I will openly say that I am one of those people when it comes to Republican I'm making that blanket blank of that blanket statement, and I am lumping you in with a Trump supporter if you're not actively working to 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 dismantle racism and homophobia and xenophobia and stuff like that. You're complicit, and yeah, you're organized, but you're organized in a foul manner. And I'd rather be divided if my be, if, if 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 me being divided <laughs> amongst other people that I'm working with means that I'm still. Um, taking a moral high ground. And I know that's very subjective compared to how you were raised, how you grew up, that different type of thing. But I would rather I would rather stand by myself than stand with somebody else who blatantly stands for something that I flat out disagree with, that I think is disgusting, just because they have some other areas that they agree with me with. No, I'm not well, with that. Well, and that's, that's the issue too. And I'm, you know, I again, just to sort of if it has been unclear, um, I am about as far Democrat as you can go without right, tipping right, right. off the scale, you know. And so, and, and I'm also a Christian. And so, what I get irritated with is when you see these Republicans that are voting for Trump, saying, you know, that he's, you know, the next great Christian president, that he represents all of these great values. You know, he's he's uh, anti-abortion. He's oh my god. You know, he he's he's anti-gay. Yeah, and, and to me, that, evangelicals aren't doing you any favor. No, they I'll absolutely, tell you that they absolutely are not. <laughs> and and that's the fact of the matter is, is it absolutely disgusts me as a Christian that people think that Trump and the Republican Party as it stands actually represent Christian values. Because for me, that's Christianity is about tolerance. You know, it's how can we best live in a society. And they're so have, intolerant. And that's exactly of, right. Anything that isn't, that isn't a middle-aged, wealthy white man. Um, which is also the, what, what makes it so confusing why so many, like, why Trump went over so many, like, white female voters. It's like, he doesn't care anything. That party cares nothing about you. Yep. Nothing about right. you. And they continue to make moves that, that, that degrade you and show how much they, how, how little they see your value and your worth. But yet, 
his support is you know was was ex- I think for the things that he said and done, I think his support was exceptional among white among white females. Well, and that's and that's why you know sort of to touch on again a point that I had made earlier. It's you know you see white women that voted for Trump, um, and then you you know you see and again as just to kind of restate what I said earlier in a different way. I'm not saying that a higher proportion of minorities voted for Trump than than for Hillary. That's that's absurd. What I had meant by that was that it's higher than expected. Yes. And I and I think the reason. No, again, I feel you because I would expect that he got zero. That's exactly not right. Not five people. Yep. Not one person. And not one. Not even. Uh, let me think about it. Yeah. Like zero. Yeah, nothing. And the thing with and the thing with the women side of it too. You you look at the way that Trump treats women. You look at the way he treats the women in his family, and it, it's it's just how can you take a misogynist, a racist, a xenophobe, a bigot, you know, a homophobe? How can you take anything at his word if you're one of those pop? If you're in that population that he has degraded in some way, whether it's through speech, through his actions, through a tweet, I, I don't understand how you could vote for him. You know, he may have again one point that you like. But you got to look at the whole picture. And exactly. People just didn't. Exactly. And I, I agree with you with that. People, they not or or I won't even say that they didn't. I think with a lot of them, they did hate just meant more. Um, I wrote a, a, a blog article um, maybe about a year ago, um, coming from the perspective people always say Trump voters voted against their own interests, and I wrote the article said that basically said no, they didn't. They have all these other interests, but their interest in hate and bigotry and white supremacy meant more than everything else. So they actually voted within their interests. They didn't vote against their interests. These these hateful ideals meant more to them. Yeah. It's it's basically the Southern strategy reborn again. I may be poor, destitute, ignorant, dumb, deaf, blind, anything, right? But as long, but I, I am still better than any black or brown person if I'm white. And I think he brought that back. And along with being underestimated, he 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 took that and rolled with it master, masterfully and he won it. And then when you look at the the and, and to and to address kind of like what you were saying about, you know, Christians and stuff like that, like you you're right. I don't even recognize I don't even I, I, I feel like I don't recognize Christianity. I am not very religious. I've been open about that. Um, I have said that I am like somewhat spiritual. I believe in a higher power, but I can't say that I, you know, I'm not at church faithfully and all that type of stuff. But I tell you what, after what I've been seeing the past couple of years, I'm not like, it's not like I feel like I have the urge to jump into a church. Well, yeah. And I feel, I'll, to be honest with you, I feel somewhat vindicated because everything, like everything that evangelicals or whatever are, are are touting to 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 be about and believe about, like their party is is against all of that, is against all of that. I mean, I even had a friend one time who told me um, his wife actually said it best, um, and he said that when you look at it how it is now, like a lot of Republicans, they're pro birth but they're not pro life. They want to make sure you have the babies, but once you have the baby, they want to cut off all means to help take care of it. They don't care about welfare. They don't care about making sure people have the adequate resources for mental health, for health care, for you know feeding children. I mean, come on, look at the look at look at our immigration. What's going on with immigration right now? 
We have children locked up in cages. I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up because I I have such strong opinions on this and it's not an right now it's not an immigration issue. It's it's a human it's rights a issue. It's a human rights issue. And the fact of the matter is I don't care if you're left, if you're right, if you're smack dab in the middle. You don't lock if kids in cages. If you see a kid in a cage crying because their parents have been stripped away from them. I don't care where you sit in the political aisle. If that does not leave you feeling, you know, disgusted, you know, remorseful for what, you know, maybe you've been putting your vote. I I don't want to have anything to do with you, frankly. It's at this point, they're they're not going after, you know, criminals like Trump is saying. They're not going after. Well, it was never about that to begin with. It was never about that to begin with. It was about, you know, it it was systemic race. It was institutional racism. That's all it was. Yep. And then if you and if you look at it, like I say, look how they're keeping children. Right. They got them in cages. Right. On, On concrete floors. If you were to walk into any normal person's house and ha- and see them have their kids like social that, services social would services would be there in a heartbeat and their kids would be taken away from You would be jailed on, and on a regular basis if anybody else had their children like that. But now our federal government does it. The part that gets me is that, you know what, a few years ago people were all up in arms about, you know, how the situation with Harambe was handled. It just shows where people's priorities are. Oh, people yeah. gave more, more care about, care about that damn gorilla ape whatever that thing was more so than they are about these kids that are locked in cages to me it's just really bizarre what people are willing to justify and the behaviors they're willing to put up with if it serves their interests listen i've heard black people say it all the time and i've even said it before and we've made comments and said that at times honestly it feels like white america kills more about animals than they do about black people you see more White Americans out protesting, poaching of animals, animal abuse, dog abuse, zoo animals being killed than you ever see when it comes out when an innocent black man, woman, or child is killed. You just do. It's not to say that you don't see some white people out there. You do. You really do. So, it, but when you look at, if you make a comparison between the two, there's always way more outrage when it comes to like animals, and I don't understand that. Which also is is, is even to be honest with you, even shows you how more um, backwards and ironic it is. Especially seeing how some of those seri- some of those very same people see us as animals anyway, but yet you still care more about actual animals than you do us. Well, and I, you know, when I see things like this, when I see people prioritize, the way people prioritize and justify, you know, their behaviors, their thoughts, their philosophies, it's, it's interesting, I mean, to say the very least. Um, but when, when I see things like this, you know, whether it's children being locked up in cages or it's, you know, cops shooting unarmed black teens in the streets, I, when I see things like that, my first question isn't even necessarily why is this happening? It's what is my younger sister going to be dealing with? So my younger sister, for a little bit of a background, um, she's adopted from Ethiopia. And so, you know, she's, you know, as far as like the immigration stuff and all that goes, you know, legal citizen and all of that. Um, But she's just getting into high school now. And so she's just starting to get to the point where she's, you know, she's going out with her friends. She's going to the mall. She's going out to eat. She's going to be driving. She's about to get a rude awakening of where where she's, where she's been somewhat, she's probably been somewhat insulated from how... Her, her race and ethnicity, what it means in America, um, and how the rest of the world 
will react to you. And high school is about where that starts to open up for you. Yeah. So, yeah, this is going to probably be... Um, I fear for it, her. This I is going to be a moment of growth for her. She's going to get kind of a rude awakening about, like, what what life can be for her here. Well, and I think she has sort of had that white insulation. You know, we, we, you know, we go shopping, she's in the car with us. It's sort of, oh, okay, you know, that it gets blown off as nothing. But who's to say that that's going to be any different if she's, you know, if she goes shopping or if she goes if she goes out and drives. I mean, that's the thing is that you see all of these, you know, police shootings and they're completely unprovoked. I mean, you you look and, you know, none of none of these people that are getting killed are armed in any way. I mean, there's there's no de-escalation techniques that are put into place. And so I fear that my sister who, God, she would never do anything to anybody is, is that potential danger by the people that are supposed to protect her. I mean, yeah, they just had one recently a kid, was it Antoine Rose in Pittsburgh? Yep. They got the video, shot in the back three times, took off running, and they shot him in the back three times. If you have to, sh- you know, if, if your method of attack is at somebody's back, you are at no imminent risk. Not at all. And, and shooting is supposed to be a last resort type of deal anyway. I mean, I, I almost feel like I can't even say anything about it because I've said so much and it's to the point where it's just old and I'm just tired. Well, I can give you, you my perspective I mean? on it. <laughs> Go ahead. I, it, it's, absolutely, it's absolutely absurd. I hear people saying all the time, you know, af- after the fact um, and these are typically white people and they'll say something along the lines of you know, you're not in that situation. You don't do their job. You know, they, they fear for their... They go to work every day thinking that they, you know, could potentially be killed. But they also but volunteer my, my, for my, those jobs. But, but my thing is, first of all, I... I thank them for their service. You know, they do put themselves at risk. But an unarmed black teenager facing away from you is not a risk at all. At all. At all. And there's absolutely no reason that excessive force should be used at all. And that's when when you talk about shootings, that's about as excessive as it gets. And so, uh, you know, as somebody that I'll, I'll never be able to understand, you know, what people in those situations are going through as, you know, with a white lens, I, I won't, um, but I can sympathize. And I can say that I, I do have fear for my younger sister that she's going to have, she could potentially go through something like that of, you know, just due to who she is as a person. Through, through your eyes, what do you see? What do you feel like needs to be done more from in your community or in, in white America to address some of these issues. Because, like I've said before, I'm one of those people, like, it's to the point now where, like, just not agreeing with it or disagreeing with it is not good enough. Like, you have to be active in trying to dismantle these type of things. Or, in my eyes, like, you're just complicit with it. And so what do you see are different ways that... um Basically, like, our white allies can, like, contribute and help, you know what I'm saying, like, give help in breaking down and dismantling the system. Because this is, cause this, is the, the, this is the this is the sad truth about it. The rest of America is tired of hearing, like, black people talk about it. Even though we're the ones being, black and brown people, we're the ones being brutalized, we're the ones having to put up with all this type of stuff, like... When it gets to the point where we're the only one saying anything about it, like, nobody cares. Or at least that's the way I feel sometimes. We just come across as being malcontents. Or it's like we're always complaining about everything else. Like, it's going to take other people who have, you know, the privilege or that it doesn't affect to start coming out in mass going against this 
for these things to happen. It's either going to have to take that, or it's going to, or the, or it's going to have to take the things that are happening to us are going to have to start happening to them before things change. And so, if it's not going to, if, if nobody wants it to start happening to them, then I feel like, okay, so what are you going to do? How are you going to organize and mobilize to to help dismantle it? Well, I think first and foremost, I think the issue needs to be addressed at the level in which it's occurring. So I think that, you know, when you see situations like this where, you know, the officers, first of all, body cams, half the time the things aren't even turned on. Um, or they or they shut them off. Or they shut them off. Or there was technical times. issues. Or there's, yeah, yeah. And to me, that, that needs to be that that needs to be like a terminable offense. I, if you have, there, there's no reason that your camera should ever be off. If it is, I, you know what, I, I think that needs to be dealt with, with termination. And that's also the same sort of situation with, you know, after a shooting occurs, you know, it's they like, in my opinion, it's like tampering with evidence. Yeah, it, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. You're, you're, you're getting in the way of an, of, a, of an investigation that you know is going to happen. That's standard procedure after a shooting occurs. Even even if it was considered a clean shoot, you know, the other person had a gun and they point, you know, what it's been so long since I've seen a clean shoot, I don't even know what it looks like anymore. <laughs> but the yeah. fact of the matter is they always debrief. And to me, if you got rid of the video or you inconveniently had it turned off or blocked, you're done. I case closed. You're you're gone. You you tampered with evidence and who's to say that that's not going to happen again? And if they do get a clean shot of, you know, what actually happened, I, I don't understand how these investigations take as long as they do because from what I've seen on the news, it's pretty damn clear what happened. And you know what? And that's frustrating too because, like you said, what you see on the news, it's pretty clear what happens, yet they always seem to keep getting off. I'm getting so tired of seeing administrative leave with pay yep. or terminated with a severance, but no, like, actual, like, charges, convicted, and adequate jail yeah, time given. Behavior. Like it's exactly. It's criminal behavior. It's criminal behavior at the level of law enforcement, the first um you know, the first of the government that we see. And it's a criminal offense when it's the president of the United States locking kids in cages, um and a, a number of different egregious acts that he's been convicted of. But the fact of the matter is it's criminal charges and just because your, you know, whether you're affiliated with the government or you have a big checkbook, that should not matter. Everybody should be held to the same standard. And for exactly. some reason, they're not, and they haven't been. Exactly, because that's one thing I can say that not only, you know, I talked uh, a couple episodes ago about how mental health only seems to be something that's it, it, seen as valid or addressed depending on how big your checkbook is or what your bank account looks like. And <clears throat> I think the way crime is addressed is much the same way. I think the first, the first litmus test or the first uh, gauge they use to determine whether or not you're a criminal or you can be convicted of a or you can be convicted of a crime or you can or you can receive justice is the color of your skin. And then I think the second litmus test or the second guideline they use is <clears throat> economic standing. And I don't think that that is um, any coincidence, seeing as how our government is often uh, in charge or run by um, men and women of one one race uh, and economic standing, because it um I just have I I have not seen very often anybody raised to a high you know rank. Or whatever in government 
uh, as a common man. Anybody that can actually relate to us. Yeah, maybe when they were kids or whatever, they got some story about growing up in poverty or whatever. But none of our politicians, when they're really uh, you know put in position or whatever or whatnot, are can relate to any of us. Oh, absolutely. They all have six feet. Most of them have a background where they were in a six figure profession before they took office. Well, a lot of they're them totally are yeah. They're totally out of touch with with what everyday people go through. And like you said, yeah, a lot of them are lawyers. I think I heard Neil deGrasse Tyson talk about one time uh, how he looked at, it was either Congress or Senate, and he looked at it, and 80% of the people there had a background in law. And if you can afford, so they're professional if you can afford to arguers. go to law school, yeah. chances are that you come from some opportunity there. Yeah, so they're professional arguers. They're used to... And, and, and they're used to winning, or you're used to finding ways to win, even at the expense of truth and justice. Because if you look at the way the, uh, the legal system works these days, it's really about winning. It's not really about truth. It's not really about finding justice. It's how do you win. Yeah, well, absolutely. And you take a look now at the, you know, at, at the Trump administration. You can put a picture of, you know, or a video of him saying something, and he'll deny saying it, and you can put the two right together. I mean, it's just absurd. The truth doesn't matter anymore. No. No, and I don't really know how to address that, especially when we have, and I've said this before, the media is complicit in it. Half the time they don't fact check, fact check, um, because it's good ratings for them. It's free press. They help regurgitate all this garbage. We got entities out there like Fox News that are able to exist, and I don't. How are they even allowed to have news at the end of that? You know, you take, a, you take just, a look at, <laughs> at at most news stations, and you're sort of like, okay, there's there's a little bit of a bias, and, and we yeah, like to there's a lane, and we know all media. I I'll go, I even go out and say, I know that all media, all media outlets have some sort of lean or bias to them. Well, which is why I choose to biases. Yep. Which is why I choose to if I'm going to look at news or read news articles about what's going on in our, on in our country, I actually choose to read them from other countries, like a BBC news article or something like that, because they really have they don't have they don't have really a stake in what's going on here. So they can be a little bit more um uh level-headed when it comes to just just getting out the facts all right um and i know it's different in their country if i want to if i want to read about something that's going on in in, in another country I, I won't read the article that that you know from the country that that emanates from because like i said i understand all all of them have some sort of bias but fox news is just flat out lies left to right like there's no bias. this is just they just lie well, you can again. You can watch a lot of different news stations, read different papers, and you're, you can sort of pick up on like undertones. That sort of okay, you know, this this paper probably leans right, or this you know this station probably yeah, leans yeah, yeah. Fox. There's no question. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, there's no. It's not an undertone. It's just blatant. Blatant. It's just out there. And so I always. I remember <laughs> there was a couple times actually. I walked into a restaurant, um, and I was actually going to eat, and I saw that they had Fox News on the TV, and I left. I was like, I'm not even eating here. Because, like, if you allow that garbage to be played over, I'm straight. I'd rather you not. I'm not saying you got to play something that I approve of. It's not that I own the place. But play nothing at all. But if you if you got that stuff blaring over, blaring over the airwaves, to me, it's pretty obvious um, 
or I feel like it's pretty obvious what you stand for or what you're okay with. And that's the and same I can't thing. be I can't be you can't have my business with that. And that's the same way it is right now too. Whenever you know, whenever I have a conversation with somebody and politics happens to come up, which you know it it seems to happen a lot more now than it used to, and. It's like the only good thing that's happened over the past couple of years, isn't it? Yeah. More people are actually starting to try to educate themselves and be aware. Yeah. Un- unfortunately, though, it's when it comes up in conversation that someone, you know, is a Trump supporter or they've, you know, it just immediately becomes a tense, uncomfortable, <laughs> I'm doing whatever I can do to get out of the conversation. Because for me, again, and, and, you know, Will William touched on this earlier, you know, you you might be a Trump supporter because he's you know, you know, pro life. You might be a Trump supporter because he's a he's a Christian, and I'm I'm doing air quotes here. Um, but the fact of the matter is, you then are also acknowledging that his behavior is okay. You are condoning his racism, his you know bigotism, his homophobia. You are, if you are okay with with you know some of his smaller platform items. You're getting the whole package, and so to me, I, yep. I don't care why you voted for him. If you voted for somebody just that, just abrasive in every sense of the word, I don't want to have anything to do with you. I look at it in terms of when you the uh, trying to make the analogy of you buying a you, you, you buying a bag of apples, right? And let's say each apple stands for one of his stances or his opinions or his beliefs. I don't know anybody in their right mind who would buy a bag of rotten apples just for one good apple. Yeah, that's, so, a, good, that's so, a good logical so, argument. So if you wouldn't buy a bag of, of, of bad apples just so you can get the one good apple in there, why would you vote for somebody who has a bunch of negative or horrible beliefs, stances, or policy decisions based off of one or two? That makes no sense at all. It's so illogical. I can't even. I can't even. It's hard for me to articulate. But then again, like we've said, once it, you know, this this if there's one thing that this political climate has shown me that it it's really not about logic. It's really not about rationale. It's just. It's 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 chaos. It's anarchy. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 about utter chaos. It's about greed. It's about bigotry, and it's about pushing uh, forth uh, a, an agenda that is horrible for eighty, ninety percent of the people here, and great for ten. Yeah, and the and the fact of the matter is, too, I hear statements like you know Trump set political discourse back forty years. Unfortunately, he set humanity back. Unfortunately, 40 years. it makes me really sad that I don't think that's the case because, as you know, William mentioned before, you know. There were a lot of people that had to have voted for Trump that vehemently deny that they that they did. They they won't admit to it, and so they have these feelings and these feelings of hate that they voted for at the booth that they're not willing to demonstrate to. in public. And so what that tells me is that we never really made it that far in the first place. The, I the, agree. The, the, these emotions have been hidden, and then Trump came out and with the way that he is just so in your face and abrasive about his racism and his homophobia. He made people free to express he, it. He, he made he made the option available again, and so I think, unfortunately, we never really made it as far. You know, we I don't think we we're as progressive as we thought we were. Not and that's, at all. And that I think is one of the things that makes me the saddest is how very prevalent racism must have been over the last forty years, and that we really haven't made it all that far at all. I mean, I almost even want to go as far as to say, 
Um, if you look at the way things are politically, um, is democracy even a thing right now? Well, it seems to be. It seems to be leading more. It's an. Ex- I think it's more of an experiment. I've heard Cornell West say before in the past that democracy is an experiment, especially when you look at the standpoint of uh, America is a re- relatively young nation with a young government compared to the rest of the world. Well, yeah, and all and other it, nations and a bicameral. You know, a bicameral system is still a relatively new concept, and especially like you mentioned, you know, the United States has only been around for you know a little over two hundred years, and so that. You know, you look, and that, that's another, this is kind of sort of brings up a whole different point, but I, I sort of think it's an important one to address. I, I think that's why we have these issues with, with the Middle East and why we don't understand, you know, people sort of classify, unfortunately, you know, certain populations like Muslim, they don't realize that there's so many different subgroups of, of, of the Islam faith. Which is, which, and, uh, to be honest with you, I find it hard to understand why they can't understand that. Because it's no different from the different denominations of Christianity. Yeah. It's the exact same thing. Yep. But that goes to show you how, like, narrow-minded, and how, the, to be honest, it shows you the arrogance of, of people in America because we're unable to see past our way of life or how we do things. We're unable to see, to be honest with you, that a lot of what we do is in in some way a cheap copy or delineation from something that comes from somewhere else. Yeah, well, and and, and again, it's, it's and and not to say, and and I want to clarify, I'm not saying Christianity is a as a cheap copy or de, a, or delineation of Islam. Um, but they do; they are both Abrahamic religions. They right. both come from the same. Yes. They, yep, if you yep, if yep. you read if you read the Quran or if you read the Bible, there are very very similar messages and exactly. some of the same people. Exactly, which is a, which is another reason why I said I have I kind of have issues with organized religion because they're like you like you pointed out they're very much the same. Um, a lot of the stories and stuff are the same, but if you ask one or the other, they both believe that theirs is the only true one. I don't see how that's possible, and that's not a coincidence to me that you can have all these same stories, same characters, same everything, but you're the only true version. Yeah, well, and the, and the fact and the fact of the matter is, is I you know. That that's sort of where the component of faith comes into play. Um, but my my point being with with the Middle East is that we don't understand that the issues that they have, because they have had such a long, almost since the beginning of time, is when their history started. Yep. The United States, these issues and stuff that we're having, we're just over two hundred years old. If you think about it, you know, life expectancy right now, um, I, I believe, is like mid seventies, high seventies, and so that's maybe five generations of you know four or five generations of people you know, taking into account differences in, in public health and whatnot that have lived in the United States. You know, we're we're not that far separated from the people that founded this country. And so we exactly. we don't have the history, we don't have the longitudinal understanding that these other places have. And so when we see things like religious wars and stuff over the Middle East, who's to say that stuff's not to come and who's to say it's not starting now? We just don't have a long enough history to understand where that stuff comes Which from. Which is all the more the, the the feeling I have of why I think it's detrimental for us to always interfere in a lot of the uh, a, a lot of um, these international crises and issues going on in other countries, barring 
barring unless it's a situation where we're seeing like genocide and stuff like that to me that is a moral obligation i don't care how old or small or young your government is you step in and you help people in those situations as long as long as it's you know for the human rights aspect and, and not, not for, for colonization colonization and getting resources. oil any of that crap exactly exactly but but from the standpoint of if it's just because you don't understand or agree with the way that they govern their nation you got to stay out of that we haven't been, as one of my friends from uh, uh, from college would say, you ain't been in the game long enough. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, you haven't been in the game long enough to make those type of decisions. Well, it's like the JV guy giving the top varsity starter, you know, pointers. Exactly. Who the heck are you? That's why I thought it was, uh, there, there, were, there were a lot of eyebrows raised this past week um, about uh, the Trump administration pulling out of the UN Human Rights uh, Committee. A lot of people were, felt horrible about it. Uh, eyebrows were raised or a lot of criticism. I actually took a different viewpoint. I actually kind of applauded it. And this is the reason why I applauded it. I said, for once, this country is doing something consistent with the way they behave. How are we going to advise other people on human rights issues and crises when we fail to even address the human rights issues that go on in this country daily since the beginning of this country's, you know, you know with this, the way this country was founded? There are human rights issues going on daily. The way we treating, we're treating these immigrant children right now is a human rights issue. The way we treat mentally ill people is a human rights issue. The way we treat poor people is a human rights issue. The way we treat the native community. Natives have been getting, I mean, listen. Well, talk about immigration issues, for God's sakes. Yeah. You want to talk about... I, I, I Everybody knows, like, I, I love my blackness, and I'm, I'm constantly talking about... The, uh, the 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 atrocities and the hardships that 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 my people got to deal with, but the Native American community, I mean, golly, they've been getting raped from day one, and they're still getting raped over, like today, with you know we're trying to build you know put oil pipelines and stuff on their property and they're like they can't buy a break, they can't buy a break. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that whole, yeah, the whole No Dapple movement was, it, it was a pure example that the United States is willing to, you know, sort of pay for its transgressions against the Native American community as long as it doesn't interfere with, interfere with what we currently have going on. Yep. And if we, if we have interfere with their bottom a, dollar. If we, want to, if we want to put a pipeline through there, well, then by golly, we'll give you something else that's probably less valuable. It's, yep. it's disgusting. Yeah, yeah. And so, so, so all I have to say, when they actually bowed out of the UN Human Rights Council, it's like, I, I'm actually okay with that. That's actually consistent with the way the country behaves, and they should, because we need to be investigated for for the way we, you know, we we, we absolutely deal with human rights here. So I don't know. Tell me what you think about that. No, I you know I was a little bit surprised by the by the. I mean, it was definitely first. surprising. Yeah, it caught me off guard. Um, but you know, it it does make sense. Why partake in in a group that is about you know humanitarianism when we as a nation can't even get our own act together? Yeah, we lack like so much credibility when ch- it comes children to that. are being locked in cages. Um, you know, kids are being shot in the back. Um, what part of that speaks human rights? Where do we, honestly, just to sort of put it, you know, kind of in a forward way, I don't know how we had the balls to stay at that table for as long as we did, now that you kind of bring that up. <laughs> You're right. You're right. 
I they, you're right, bro. I don't, I don't I don't know how. I, well, I know how we have the balls to do it. We're arrogant. And that's just how we do things. We're always pointing the finger, trying to tell, which is like I I think it's foolish of us. Like it's foolish. I now I understand the fear of nations like North Korea and Iran and Iran. Sorry, I pronounced it wrong. It's Iran. I understand the fear of them having nuclear weapons, because if the wrong people get a hold of them, what could what could happen to the rest of the world, right? But at the same time, once again, if we have them, what sense does it make to wave the finger at other people and tell them that they can't? Yeah. And as far as I know, we're not looking for ways to dismantle. We're not looking for ways to get rid of our arsenal. We're not looking for any more ways to um, cut back on how much we have. If anything, they're looking to add to the defense budget, which is another Republican platform that doesn't make sense, seeing as how if you take the armies from the next five largest countries and put them together, they still don't amass to what we have here in America. Well, I mean, let's that's, take, that's, let's take that's the crazy. view of somebody that's not from the United States, somebody from, let's say, the U.K. or, you know, pretty much anywhere besides the United States, when, when, when they see this nuclear standoff, you know, are they putting us in line with North Korea? I mean, especially when you see some of the actions that Trump has taken and the fact that he's been meeting with, um, you know, Kim Jong-un and seems to have pretty positive things to say about him. At, at, at what well, point are about, they starting to think we're... Now, how about, how about that one, though? Let's, so let's have... That one should, be, uh, should have been on graduate decisions, too. He meets with Kim Jong-un, right? The, the master deal maker, right? And basically gets him to sign of a, an agreement that has less contingencies than it did the first time he signed. And he th- he walks away from that thinking that he did something great. Yeah, I mean, he's an easy person to fool. He's the master of negotiations. It's, not he's got to be one of the dumbest people I've ever... Well, it, it's, it, <laughs> it's, 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 you know, Putin, Kim Jong-un, it's, they have him in his pocket. He's a very easy person to flatter... And you know, you throw a little money his way, or you throw a few compliments his way, and or the ability he, to uh, the possibility of maybe building one of his horrible, uh, bu- uh, you know, putting one of his horrible properties within your borders, and you got him. Yeah. Well, let's talk about human rights issues, the way he treats his employees, but that's a whole other separate topic that we can get into. But yeah, again, you know, why would you expect him to do business differently than the way that he, you know, treats his family, treats his, you know, constituents? You know, why why would he treat them any different? Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, God, I feel like we've touched base on so many different things here that we could have, we could easily keep continuing to go on, on different tangents and go on forever about it. But if there's, um, if there's one takeaway or hope that you could walk away with, what would it be? So if, you know, Having conversations like these, for one thing, I think is incredibly valuable and incredibly important. And I think you should have them with people that are like-minded. But I also think that you need to, you know, get the perspective of somebody that might have a different walk of life. And so, and and again, to touch back on some stuff that I said earlier, I don't come from the experience of, you know, being fearful of, you know, getting in my car and running errands. I don't have that experience of feeling like I'm constantly under suspicion or under... I, I, and I'll never have that that viewpoint. Um, but I, I do. I, I can say that I, I sympathize and that I disagree with the way that um, 
racism has been essentially institutionalized with the Trump administration and for almost as long as this country has been has been around. Um, and, and so just have as many of these open dialogue conversations as you can. Um, keep an open mind, but also, you know, understand your audience as well. Um, and so, again, you know, if you talk with, with William, you're going to get a different different walk of life, different background on why he views things the way he does. Um, if you talk with me, you're going to get a different background on why I view things the way that I do. Um, but just know that, you know, you, you take a look at their demographics or you take a look at their income, you know, race, orientation, any of that. Take that off the table and just ask them what they think. So I think you'll be surprised um, the number of people that um, might be completely demographically different than you, but, you know, are are, are on the proper side. You know, they, they see all these issues that are happening and they want to do something about it. Um, so just, just know that that's, you know, it's, although it seems like a lot of, a lot of people are, you know, I'm trying to figure out a good way to put this. Essentially, what I'm trying to say is that it's, you know, from my perspective, it's, there are a lot of people that are trying to end um, police violence. There's a lot of people that are, you know, trying to understand the Trump administration and, you know, figuring out how we can turn out the vote to make sure that this kind of thing never happens again. Um, and so just know that there are a lot of us out there. Yeah. I guess if there's one thing or one hope that I'll walk away with is um, A, conversations with people who, who for the most part, like like the one that we're having, different people, different backgrounds, um, see eye to eye on just about, just about everything, um, but we just, you know, kind of look at it from a different lens. Um I also, I mean, God, a dream of mine is to wish everybody had a passport, and everybody had a passport so they can go see what it looks, what it is like to live and be in other countries for a while, and not like live and be in other other countries or vacation in other countries for just two weeks, like in a hotel with like the super nice amenities, but be in two weeks living how everybody else does, because then you have a better understanding of why things. And two weeks really isn't enough, but you get a little taste of why things operate the way they do in other countries and realize that those people, everybody, despite the fact that they eat different food, they have another different religion, um, speak another language, that generally for the most part, just about every human being on this planet wants all the same things. They want to live long, happy lives, and they want their families taken care of. And they just want to be okay. Um, And so even though that's more, that's, unrealistic you know for to 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 have the idea that everybody's going to be able to get out and do that the hope that I do walk away with is every time I see um I go to a book bookstore or something I'm at the bookstore all the time and I see people that look nothing alike uh having a conversation looks like they're having a decent conversation or I open the door and an old white lady isn't clutching her purse, afraid of me, but yet maybe she smiles and speaks first instead of me having to speak to her first. Or I see kids who don't look alike out playing and really having fun, and not, they don't care about each other's faith or politics or anything like that. They're just worried about who's next in line, you know, getting on the jungle gym or, you know, to get the basketball or play football. I try to grab a hold of little things like that, and I try to um, 
really be in the moment, man, and, and, and take things day by day. Because with so many negative things going on, it's very easy to kind of get ahead of myself and just be like, we're all screwed. And, it's, and, and we're all doomed. You know what I mean? It's just easy to do that. Because every time you turn on the news, there's something negative. So I've really been trying to focus a lot and be in the moment and notice those real small things the, to help along with, you know, the, you know, my regular hobbies. But I depend on a lot of those small things to get me through the day and walk away with some sort of hope that things will get better. But with that, still with the knowledge of we still have to be active, dude. Like, these things are not going to get better on their own. And we need everybody to be active and move towards changing things. That's 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 all I got. So, yeah, well put. Yeah, well, I mean, hey, bro, it's been great having you here today. I really hope that uh, I hope you enjoyed it too. I did, yeah, and, a lot uh, of fun. If you're open to it, I would love for you to come on again. Yeah, you know, we can sit, chat, rap about whatever on another time. But um, if anybody has any uh, any questions for me or Jake or any critiques or any comments, please send me an email as always. Like I say, send me an email to chilltimepod at gmail.com. Um, Jake, I really appreciated you coming out, taking the time out of your, your day to come sit and visit with me and, and, and jump on this episode. Like I said, hope you do it again. Um, I thank all you guys out there for listening. Um, and uh, just, like I said, just listening Give me your feedback like you do. Give me your support. And I always look forward to getting on the mics, giving you guys a great show, some great topics and things to talk about, and bringing on new people for you guys to get to know. And essentially meet a lot of the people that I know that are in my sphere that uh, I have high regard for or that I appreciate being able to uh, sit and have conversations with and exchange ideas with. So you got any last things, man? No, um, yeah, thanks again for, for having me on. It's, it's kind of fun to have these conversations, and it's, you know, the idea of a podcast is kind of kind of new to me. I've never done this before, and so this is kind of fun. Um, and so, yeah, I do hope to come back on, and, you know, if, there, if there's anything, any questions, like you said, that you, um, you know, if you have, um, whether it's on, you know, you know, points of view that I had or points of view that William had, pass them his way, and I'm sure he'll let me know that too. Because um, I mean, I'm interested to hear, you know, what, how my opinions are received, um, you know, by virtually anybody, you know, because a lot of the conversations I have, unfortunately, are with people that have the same exact viewpoint that I do. Right. And so it's, yeah, I mean, if, if there's if there's questions on anything that I meant or anything that, yeah, let William know, and I, I'd be really interested to hear. Yeah, definitely. And we'll, uh, like I said, we'll have to have you on again. Yeah, absolutely. Thank all you. Right. So once again, thank you all for uh, tuning in and joining us. And this has been Chill Time is Will Time. Yo, it's William Moore. It's been my guest, Jacob Hunt, and we're out.